Welcome, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Choose Kindness. My name is Tyler Lemaster, and I'm your host, as we look to choose kindness for ourselves and others. In today's episode, we will analyze choosing kindness and control. Our three things we will cover today will include what control looks like, both healthy and unhealthy displays of it, how to have healthy control in your day-to-day life, and then flip to the other side and examine how to choose kindness in letting go of control. Now, the word control can carry with it certain connotations with it that we need to be aware of. If you were to say someone is controlling, naturally there is cause for concern, and of course this is a negative trait when this control infringes on the well-being of others or even that specific person. Choosing kindness and control is being aware of how our actions affects others and ourselves. If control diminishes or disregards respect and humanity for ourselves or others, then this control is not kind. But as autonomous beings, each looking to carve a path for ourselves, it is natural and healthy to expect a level of control. However, where is that line drawn? Where is it that we set the goalpost between being a doormat, sacrificing control in every situation to keep the peace or to make others happy, and being domineering in every aspect of life, tightly gripping on the steering wheel of control? Let's examine the social parameters of control and derive an understanding as foundation to move forward. Julian Rotter was a pioneer in understanding control as a central construct. Rotter's social learning theory was published in 1954, and he contended that our behavior is a function of our expectations with regards to future reinforcement. Essentially, how we respond to our circumstances is contingent on our perception of outcome. He split people into two categories, those that believe they could directly impact the result of an outcome, and those that do not believe their actions correlate with resulting outcomes. To break this down further, those that fall in the former category believe that if I work hard at my job and do the right things, then my desired outcome of moving up in the corporate world will occur. Or if I get the right grades and participate in the appropriate extracurriculars at school, then I can get into the college that I want. Rotter labeled this as an internal locus of control. Your outcomes are determined inherently by you or your actions. The latter category would be labeled the external locus of control. In this scenario, outcomes are controlled by external forces such as fate, luck, or potentially divine intervention, which of course can vary, and relies more on a predetermined or fixed outcome. This establishes an appropriate groundwork for two different types of people. And remember, choosing kindness is always rooted in understanding. Now, we must not dismiss that we as people are dynamic beings. There is a lot of bend and shift and variables that comprise our general makeup. Not everyone fits neatly into a labeled box, and I'm sure there are some of you that may be a blend of the above. And it isn't fair to assume that just because someone may have a philosophical leaning that they are automatically one and not the other. Rotter's study is significant in establishing a pathway for us to determine where our general perception of control begins, internally or externally. Another researcher, and a personal favorite of mine, Albert Bandura set forth the self-efficacy theory in 1977. Bandura was a Canadian-American psychologist that served as a professor at Stanford University. Control was a key component to Bandura's self-efficacy theory, which states that self-efficacy is a person's belief in their ability to succeed in a particular situation. Bandura tied personal motivation to expectation of desired outcome, with two threads that flow from this construct. The first thread outlines a contingency between behavior and outcome. If this occurs, then outcome is realized. And then the other thread is tied to personal belief in competence or success. Tying these two constructs and researchers together, we see that control is outcome-driven. And if we want to choose kindness and control, we must recognize our desired outcome and how this outcome is achieved. Now to get our poll running again, I would like you to text CONTROL to 864-668-1199. Text the word control to 864 668 
1199. If this is your first time tuning in with us, please know that this is an anonymous poll. Your name and identity are held secret even from me, and the only information that is compiled are the answers given to the poll. If you would like to participate, please text CONTROL to 864-668-1199 and then respond to the prompt that will be texted to you asking, do you believe life happens to you or do you have an outcome on life's outcomes? Now again, I know a lot of us fall into the both category. What we are looking for is merely where you see yourself generally falling into philosophically. Respond as you, not how you would want anyone to perceive you. Now if we understand control as outcome-driven, we can better understand how it looks in a healthy and unhealthy manner. Choosing kindness is focused on the betterment of others and yourself. So in order to analyze choosing kindness and control, we must evaluate what our desired outcomes and how they are realized. A healthy example of control is setting appropriate boundaries in your relationships, whether romantic or platonic. Choosing kindness and control relies on intentional communication. And likewise, listening when others are communicating to you. Whether it is your significant other, your parents, siblings, coworker, you must make sure you communicate healthy boundaries. This is the first step in choosing kindness and control. As others are made aware, thus you choose kindness for them, and you have established guardrails for your peace of mind, choosing kindness for you. Setting fair timeframes in which you work and handle things with work, communicating expectations within a relationship, or even laying ground rules for what is expected when someone comes into your car if you have expectations here such as not smoking in it, please don't mess with the stereo, or eating and drinking, and etc. On the same note, respecting others' boundaries and listening to their communication is key to choosing kindness. Pets are a great example of this. Say your dog does not enjoy their belly being rubbed. They might not bite you outright, but they might snarl or growl or just show irritation that the notion is unwanted. We will discourage kids regularly to protect them from getting bit. However, it's also cruel to impose on a boundary that has been communicated. If we choose kindness with pets in this way, then we should ensure we do the same with human beings who are just as deserving of disrespect. Now, an unhealthy display of control is when this control infringes on another person's well-being, humanity, or general respect. We are each independent beings, and if we strip another person of that independence, then that control is not kind. This can manifest itself at work by micromanaging actions of those working for you, or your personal relationships where they are stripped of choice in a matter. Unhealthy control is when your autonomy supersedes that of another. Choosing kindness and control is when all parties function autonomously together. Now with that being said, there are times where in your pursuit of control, you are sacrificing your own autonomy. And the two culprits that like to mask themselves behind the curtain here are anxiety and depression. As we have discussed before, anxiety is that fight or flight response, ready at the first appearance of battle. If your mind thinks we can take our foe in a fight, then you will fight. If not, you're going to flee. And anxiety is the physical and emotional response or sensation that occurs here. However, some of us battle anxieties of many forms that can cause the sensation to occur more frequently than is necessary or intended. And when broken down, anxiety and control go hand in hand together. Anxiety is a heightened response or analyzation of circumstances to prepare for the worst to determine an outcome. You are seeking control in a situation by analyzing each facet of it and your desired outcome is either safety, security, bracing, or escape. Those with anxiety can tend more toward an internal locus of control, as we discussed earlier. However, this pursuit of control ends up controlling you in times of pervasive thoughts, crippling worry, and a distorted mindset or thinking. So to an extent, you are exchanging control with this darkness that clouds your mind, and you're submitting to it. And my friend, this anxiety cannot direct your ship properly. 
it is up to you to reclaim the control and rip it from the clutches of your mind. And it is hard. I understand and I know it isn't easy, but you can do it. Now, depression contrasts anxiety in that there seems to be a positive association with depression and an external locus of control. Mind you, this may sound cut and dry for purposes of the episode, but I recognize that we are all dynamic beings and we'll show a blend of the two. But control and depression, or the perception of control, can be sculpted by external forces influencing our thinking. This can be bred by consistent disappointment by people or events, so you don't really care to plan ahead. Or buying into the notion that life is futile, so why bother? Or believing the lie that you are too damaged, messed up, or the past is too messy for you to make a difference or change. This all can lead to a mindset that controls you. And even if this isn't you directly, I am certain you know someone that falls into this category. And you can use this understanding to not only listen more intently to them, but also be present in their darkness. Regardless, I want you to know that you are not without hope. I'm sure you have heard this countless times. Whether you battle anxiety or depression, or you know someone that does, but the repetition of a fact does not make it any less true. You are not without hope, and you can regain your control that has been forfeited to your mental battles. Choose kindness by letting go of this perceived control. Seek help from someone you can confide in and tell them your struggle. And then, if appropriate, seek professional guidance from a counselor or therapist to come alongside you. And this journey may not yield fruit on first harvest. It may take you a couple different people or a few different counselors. But I believe in you, and I know that you can overcome. Alongside these two external components, there are practical methods to pour into yourself internally in order to gain this control. Stepping away, when it is possible, from whatever you are doing and breathing has been displayed to recollect and redirect the mind. Regular exercise, taking a nap, reading, writing, or watching something to take your mind off of whatever the stressor is can also prove helpful. Just ensure that you are taking active measures to directly handle the issue at hand, as avoiding it or constantly distracting yourself can lead to sweeping it under the rug, and you deserve better than that. Choosing kindness with control is a delicate situation. However, when we determine our philosophical leanings, whether we directly impact situations or an outside force does, when we communicate and listen effectively, when we respect personal and foreign autonomy, and when we grant ourselves clarity in the midst of the shrouded attacks on our mental well-being, then we can choose kindness for ourselves and others, moving forward together in kindness. Thank you for your time and attention today in today's episode. As we move forward together, choosing kindness is not necessarily the easy path, but I can assure you, it is always the right one. You are not alone, and there is hope regardless of the battles you may be facing. We are in this together. Choose kindness with me. Thank you.